Let's humanize the workplace. Yes, welcome. My name is Vivian Aqua, the workplace wellness advocate, and I'm so excited about today's conversation. But before I get there, I just want to let you know that there is something huge happening. So uh, for those of you who are with me for a while, I am Vivian Aqua, the workplace wellness advocate, and I advise managers how to keep their, how to help their people become healthy, happy, and more safe in the workplace. And um, I've been holding these conversations for ever since, I think ever since October, November, doing these weekly conversations. And I'm almost at my I think my 60th, today is not my 60th, but within a few episodes time, I'm at my 60th episode and it's going to be exciting. I also wanted to share something about these broadcasts because sometimes you cannot watch these broadcasts live. Know that you can always go to YouTube or better yet, consume it as a podcast because Let's Humanize the Workplace is also available at the most uh, popular podcast platforms definitely on itunes and google podcasts etc etc so you can see on which platform you with whatever platform you are looking for know that let's humanize the workplace is there and know that after each live session it will take a few time to convert it towards a podcast but if you want to listen to it or want to uh, listen to this version uh, this episode on the go Wait a few days and then it will be available. So going towards something really personal, and that is the following. Uh, last week, I shared a personal article about how to dismantle racism. And um, I am inviting you to read this article. I'm curious about your thoughts. I'm curious about what you think of my openness. And I'm curious about what you uh think about those tips that i share not tips advices that i share to to dismantle racism because it's something that is very necessary and uh as you can see i want us to raise more awareness to build that humanized workplace where everybody can thrive and be themselves and and uh leave the workplace as themselves and not with a mask or and not enter the workplace with a mask. So um, please read it. So go to bit.ly and uh, dash R-D-I-S-M to access this article. Um, today, it's all about the future of inclusive design, inclusive workplace design. I'm going to bring up the guest uh, speakers one by one. So if you have a moment, just let me see. Oops. Yes. And going to call out their names as well or their bio. So Mai, Mai Manoram is the UK Access and Inclusive Design Lead for the Inclusive Work and Inclusive Environments team at Arup. She evaluates the accessibility and inclusivity of the build environment in relation to social and cultural settings changing trends. Angelita. Angelita Scott is an assistant professor of interior design at Georgia Southern University. Her research takes a 
salutogenic approach to the interior environment, focusing on the intersections of the built environment and physiological environment, and also the physiological well-being and the intersection of culture and built environment. Last but not least, Andy Swan, the author of The Human Workplace and also an expert on connecting on connection between people, organizations, and action. It's a core message of people-first organizational success that has gained attention across the media. And he's also a podcast host or the podcast host of Like Work Podcast. Welcome, everybody. How is everybody? Thank you. Great to okay. be here. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so let's, let's dive in into the first question. And I want to invite Andy. What is your definition of inclusive design? So my, my definition of, it, of inclusive design is that, well, the, the kind of the, the background to it is that everybody should be able to have their best day at work on any given day. And that's an individual, a team and an organization wide thing. That's, that's the premise. We need to create a platform for people to thrive because when people thrive, the organization thrives. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I, should, I should use my awesome card, right? Yes. Hey. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Angelita, can you share your version? Yeah, uh, what I tell my students is that if we're looking at a, a normal bell curve. We have people who are on one end of the spectrum and people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum. We want to make sure that we're addressing both of those ends of the spectrum so that we can capture everyone involved um, and create a design for spaces for that anybody could use at any time, regardless of their abilities. Mai, before you start, I also have something to share because you shared something with me that I have to add before we are going to start. So this is, uh, can you share your version by including this presentation? Oh, of wow. course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I suppose, you know, that what, what Andy and uh, Angie have said, I, you know, completely, completely agree with. Um, and I think just to sort of expand on that, I suppose there's the, you know, it's, it's trying to be proactive about um, addressing the fact that we've got so much diversity in the populations that we're designing for. And so just making sure that we're able to um, to really push beyond those boundaries and to think about how we can integrate, um, you know, inclusive design at, at every stage of that design process as well. So the, the diagram that you've got up on screen there essentially is just trying to uh, summarize the fact that actually right from the beginning, before anything is put onto paper, before we're actually designing anything, we should be thinking about inclusive design. So right, right from the scoping and the briefing aspect, all the way through to actually when we're, we're finished designing and we're handing something over, inclusive design has to be in, embedded into that. Mm -hmm. For me, um, it's, it's funny how, um, if you would have asked me a few years ago what inclusive workplace design meant, I would say, I don't know because um, we have a few examples in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and, but I did not know that it was um, that a building or the interior of the building or the way it, it was designed can, can embrace inclusivity. So I can name a few examples. I don't know if you know about the Edge Amsterdam and uh, the company that also built that. It has also built a lot more buildings within Amsterdam where they... Um, embrace inclusive workplace design in so many ways. And I, uh, when you enter those buildings, 
you know that you as a human, as a person, will come alive because they have paid um, an extra amount of detail or extra amount of attention regarding details to make everybody feel at home. And when I say everybody, it's not only male or female, but it's also really looking towards the gender diversity, also looking towards uh, maybe religion, diversity based on religion. Um, and also uh, having that access, right? People with disabilities also need to feel included in the workspace. And if I touch um, the railing of a, a staircase and I can, can really feel like there is brown on the staircase, to me that touches my heart because then you are putting an emphasis on the details that for so many people they can't see, they can still feel at home because by touching the staircase. So I really love that. Yeah. And um, the next question, well, maybe I gave some, some of the things away, but I will start with Angie. Why should companies pay attention to uh, inclusive design? I, I, there's so many reasons, and I'm so terrified of getting one of your move on quickly cards. So um, let me let me pick one of those. <laughs> um, I, I, so so the, the case for, for inclusive design, I mean, mm -hmm. with everything that's happened in the world in 2020, let, let's look at it this way. We live in a world where innovation is either thrust upon us, as it has been by, by the goings on of 2020, or but for a number of years, we've been talking about innovating having new ideas, thinking about the, the way we work and how, how organizations progress. Now, in order to, to be innovative, you need to be creative. In order to be creative, you need to bring together as many diverse perspectives as possible because that's where the, the serendipity happens. So the only way... Okay, okay. There is something I have to stop you. And it's not because oh, okay. you said something wrong, but there is something yeah. that I feel like people sometimes maybe couldn't hear or are sitting in the back where they are in here. And you mentioned something about why it is so important to have those inclusive environments. So could you please repeat that last sentence if you can remember it? I hope that you can remember so, it. So, so the bit about, about, about bringing together as many diverse yeah. perspectives as possible, because that's where creativity and serendipity come from. Yeah. Uh, and, and in order to enable those to happen, you have to design to, to mm. give everybody that, everybody that platform. Um, and as, as much as I would like to say it's our responsibility to design inclusively, that's not always the, the business case in, in, the, in the horrible, cynical world we live in. So if you need a business case for why does it make sense to design inclusively, that's it, because it's going to help your company succeed, because the real serendipity and creativity lies in diverse perspectives. And, and absolute diversity is the biggest competitive advantage you could possibly give your organization. May I see you all nodding yes. What is, what, what is your yes in this perspective? We all have a version of the same answer. <laughs> so I, I think for me, there was, there was a particular example that sprang to mind, actually, mm -hmm. whenever you were talking, Andy, um, and talking about bringing together these different perspectives. And one of the real risks of not doing that is the fact that actually it just won't, it, it won't accommodate the, the end user's requirements. Um, and the example that sprang to mind, um, it was a little, um, thank you, <laughs> sorry, just all the awesome, um, but I, th I think um, the, um, one of the things which um, that there was a uh, an example that had sort of hit the national press a little, a little while back, but possibly international press, but um, about the fact that the, uh, the, the automatic hand sanitizer um, sensors, uh, mm -hmm. the automatic ones, you know, it's, um, it didn't recognize different skin tones. 
um, mm. because of the fact, you know, not necessarily because anyone wanted to design to exclude people, but it was because of the fact that within the design team itself, people didn't have that diversity and so therefore everyone who was testing had similar skin tones and so therefore it just it, it I mean that that in the end has a reputational impact it has um cost impacts it, all of these things are really important and that, well, even that's... the hand sanitizer is biased that's what you're saying <laughs> Yeah. unfortunately yes yeah yeah but it's it shows it shows how critical it is to have diversity in so many examples right yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and angie um just to reiterate what everyone else is saying you know mm -hmm. the research that i have done has you know found absolutely that you need diverse perspectives in your workforce in your organization um, in order to have a competitive edge you will be left behind if you don't have that um, and you also will, there's a, there's a greater return on investment for the company. So there's a great business case. There's a great monetary case um, for that as well, because with that, with having the, the, um, the more diverse perspectives, you're able to develop and create more solutions for more people. So your, your, your positioning um, in whatever industry you're in would be greater. Um, and so I've talked about the same piece of equipment that Mayi has talked about too, you know, it, it just impacts everything. And so we have to make sure that we have people employed in our workplaces to be able to bring that diversity about. The last thing that you want to do is bring in a client. And this is, this is just a simple, a simple, uh, example, a client where a client, a huge client, a big client is visiting your company, but it's unfortunately not able to enter your company's main entrance because that client is disabled and there is there isn't even a ramp just to wheel that person in and it's just the little things that makes um, a person stay or that makes a person leave your company or that makes a person not doing business with your company mm -hmm. and I would just say be mindful of that be mindful mm -hmm. I, I think the person who I've heard the most in the the most recent um, times has been Beyonce's boss move with, um, I forgot which company it was with, but she was doing a shoe deal with a, a company and she saw that there was no diversity at the table. Mm. And so mm -hmm. she took her business elsewhere, um, yeah. you know, and that's, I think is what's going to start happening with as, you know, and not just for black people, but for all people yeah. um, of all, um, ethnicities and all abilities, um, we can take our dollars elsewhere. Yeah, I so think just definitely. the and also, mm -hmm. yes. Oh, sorry, I, I was I was I was just going to say, you know, I, I think um, the 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 really important thing about um, sort of the the perspectives as well is the fact that you're getting um, sort of real life experiences feeding into that in, into that design process because I think one of the things which um, is a big challenge to designers is the fact that the guidance is. Um, firstly, often outdated or, or based on outdated mm -hmm. averages, if, if an average exists. Um, and so therefore, it disadvantages anyone who's an outlier to this. Um, and secondly, the guidance as well is always going to be a snapshot of what's happening at a particular time whenever those guidance documents are, are written. And so it doesn't accommodate 
sort of the changes that are happening sort of within within our communities it doesn't accommodate anything um sort of relating to the future as well so when we're thinking about the fact that there are certain trends relating to uh the uh sort of aging populations as an example and as a result a aging workforce that that we're essentially going to be designing for in office spaces yeah. none of that's being accommodated within the within the guidance if that's all we're looking at so you're giving away um, too much you're giving sorry. them tips you're, no you're giving them <laughs> tips i hope that people are writing because that's de that's definitely uh, a lot of factors that people need to be uh reminded by there are so many um, let's say so many ingredients when it comes to diversity, right? And if you're not addressing those ingredients, it can be detrimental for your company and for your employees as well. So, um, but I do have to ask this question and you all knew that this question is coming up because we are talking about inclusive workplaces uh, design like business is normal, business is usual, but I do have to ask this question because how does inclusive workplace design come into play when we are dealing with this COVID lockdown or this whole COVID situation? So I'll, I'll start with Angie. Angie or Andy? Angie. <laughs> okay. You're up, you're up. <laughs> okay, I'm up. All right, how does it come into play when we're dealing with COVID? Um, mm -hmm. So I look at a lot at residential spaces as well. So if we're talking about like multifamily housing um, in COVID, um, specifically when we're talking about uh, inclusive design, if there are not already um, features or characteristics designed into the space, it's going to make it much harder for people to survive in a climate where we're already having to um, distance ourselves already or in mm -hmm. a space where we're having to worry about um, toxins and bacteria and you know contagions. Um, and so we're, if we're not if we're not thinking about how people are using space and how they can maneuver throughout the space, especially in, you know, multifamily housing, if we're looking at affordable housing or low income housing where space is really at a minimum already um, because of people, you know, wanting to build more units into the space versus thinking about how people really feel and how they interact and how they receive the space. Um, that is a real problem with COVID. Yeah, my. I, I, I think that's that's absolutely, um, I completely agree with what Angie said. Um, and I think, again, there's some real sort of learning points here, you know, from the current pandemic, um, it, it everything about sort of what's happened over the past three months, um, and possibly more actually, I've completely lost track of time, but um, <laughs> the, the, everything that's happened um, has really exacerbated and sort of highlighted all of the social inequities that there were social inequalities that exist in our communities at the moment. And so there's some real sort of opportunity here to really think about how we have been designing things and how we should be designing things. And everyone's talking about these, you know, this, this new normal that we need to emerge into once lockdowns um, uh, lockdown restrictions are, are lifted and I think there's there's a real opportunity there then to really embed inclusive design as, as part of this new normal. Now's as good as time as, as any to, to be able to do that. Yeah, especially now that there aren't, there aren't that many people working at the offices anyway, right? So you can exactly. rearrange things. Andy. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, but I, yeah, I agree completely and, and want to keep this theme of, of optimism that, that this is actually an opportunity because for, for a number of years now, we've talked about flexible working, we've talked about activity-based working. And mm -hmm. although it's, it's very hard to, to kind of, you know, it's, or it's easy to forget that there are other, are other workplaces than offices, but I think that's what we're seeing. You know, suddenly people have been forced to work from home, to rethink the way they work, to, to work more remotely, rethink their relationships with the people they work with, how they lead, the teams they connect with, and actually we can kind of bring that into our, our workplace design and, and start looking at, okay, well, what do we actually need from a workplace? How can we bring in the things we need around the health and the safety and, and the provisioning? But actually, how can we start to enable people to go, okay, there's a location here when you need it, but you may not always be able to be here. So what's the opportunity for enabling you to work in a different way that actually may suit your personal life better or suit your ability to work better? And, and I think you know, the, the things that everybody's mentioned here are starting to kind of, we're taking that into account. And actually by spreading people out, because we have to, to keep everybody safe and, and increasing the, the cleanliness and, and those kind of things, actually we're, we're kind of enabling these innovations we've been looking to for, for a number of years now, but by necessity. So if we, if we do take that as an opportunity and there's an organizational responsibility here, take that as an opportunity to rethink not only how you're going to work for the next six months, but how you work going forward. And don't just ride it out and then suddenly go, right, take down the screens, everyone get back to work, come back to the office. And and that that's the worry, you know, that, that we go back down that route. But fingers crossed, yeah. you know, there's an optimistic opportunity here. I, I only hope and my ideal wish is that companies include well-being, the well-being of their people. Uh, in the new the new normal workplaces or in the new workplace uh, inclusive workplace design because I feel and I'm talking about the Netherlands I feel that that is lacking uh, that's also one of the reasons why I'm, I met these ladies through uh, well well um, international well building standards so that's a, a standard or a certificate that a company or a building owner can uh, per pertain by saying that that building is taking care, better care of the people, the planet and the profit as well. And um, I, I do see that well is the future uh, for for companies, but also real estate to make that uh, this thing that we at least can provide a place that is healthy for our people. We can provide a place that is inclusive for our people and people are going to notice it because if you can see that company A is offering uh, a lot more care at a place where you're working maybe nine to five and you're spending instead of 70% uh, uh, of your weekdays, you're spending maybe 40% of your weekdays. You still want to feel energized mm -hmm. when you go home. And um, like everybody else at COVID, this whole lockdown only amplified the need of having that in the workplace. And also um, I am worried I am worried about people, their mental well-being. I'm worried. Yeah. I, th I think the mental, the mental well-being thing is a really important thing. We, you know, mm -hmm. if if we didn't already know it, it's become proven by by you know some of the isolation and some of the issues mm -hmm. with with people kind of suddenly changing the way they work and the stress and, and the anxiety that comes with it. And and you know the, the benefits of of enabling your workforce to to be well. And, and be able to, to do their best work and be supported, whatever the challenges they face. Uh, you know, the statistics bear that out. Um, yeah. And, and yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily important. 
Yeah. yeah. And then when you do, when you think about that mental well-being, you get into that physiological well-being. Sorry for my my bio. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. Oh, your bio but, was a delight to read. <laughs> but you get into those things. You know, stress yeah. is uh, stress. I always say stress is the 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 main precursor to to disease, and that's because it leads to it's the it's yeah. the gateway into all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're not watching our mental well-being, how that can internalize in our bodies and turn into something physiological um and so we also need to be careful about what all of this is doing on both levels yeah even even the world economic forum mentioned that um yes we are dealing with a, with the covid is a pandemic but there is another pandemic going on which is um which is hidden but will be shown at the end of the year and that is the the, the burnout rate mm-hmm. internationally will rise the stress late internationally will rise we haven't seen anything yet and that's what they are predicting at the moment may what do you have to add on the the only thing i was going to add was uh, completely agree with uh, andy and angie um about what you know in terms of what they've said and i think the really important thing there's lots of plans going out at the moment in terms of um you know what return to work looks like what um coming out of lockdown looks like and again it's making sure it's it's really important to make sure that that again includes everyone within our societies because mm-hmm. there's a risk again that for people that have been considered uh, more vulnerable that need to shield more that you know mm-hmm. that actually all of these these things that we're talking about in terms of the impact on mental health that's not going to change for for certain sectors of our society if we're not thinking about that actively yeah, I do. Uh, I do feel that as well. And there are so many ways that we can um, emphasize on that, but also can help the people. So provide provide uh, courses, provide toolkits, and whatever you are saving at the moment by your people not being in the office, invest some of the percentage back towards your people. And if there is something that you're saving, I hope I'm hoping that you invest some of it back in your people because it will it's an investment and an investment well done will pay itself multiple times. So um let me see which which question I'm going to uh share. So it's hard for me because um I do want to show a few examples of inclusive workplace design which i saw from mayi and let's have a let's have a conversation about that so mayi showed me this and this is the the building of the sky academy and personally what i like when i see a building like this from the inside i can see green i can see daylight and um it might be simple it might be uh, childish of me, but I have worked in workplaces where I did not have access to green. I did not even, I slightly have access to fresh air and, and even light, daylight. It, it felt for me like I was being detained in, in a prison. And that was my workplace. That was my past workplace. And um, why? Are these futures so important? Can you sh- share something about that, Andy? 
I, I mean, you, look, look at that. Look at that building. There. It's, it's a fantastic building. Um, you know, and I do know it. Um, and 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 you're right. You know, just looking at that glass there, the flow of you know greenery internally, internal mm -hmm. space, different um, environments in which to do your work, but all carefully designed to enable you to do a range of different tasks in a range of different ways. So staying mobile in the workplace, but also look, you can see through the window. There's an outside space there. You you can you can get. It's part of a campus. You can go and get that fresh air. You're not locked in that air conditioned sealed unit. <laughs> Um, all day sitting at the same desk space and, and i think this is this is a, a great example of that the natural colors the you know the use of wood the high ceilings the the feeling of space in there all of these things feed into to enabling everyone and obviously making sure it's designed to make sure going back to what we were talking about previously that everybody can access that that you know particularly when, when you go back after lockdown and i know i'm moving away from this example that you're not excluding anyone from accessing that space and gaining the benefit from it um yeah, so so many features in a design like that. Angie, um, it, everything that Andy said. Um, if we, a lot of people know about biophilic design now, um, and so biophilic design has is one of the key factors in um, in in well being, and specifically mental well being and physiological well being. Um, and so we know that through research that biophilic design and views of nature. Um, and access to nature helps to increase our productivity. It helps to increase our creativity. Um, it makes us more resilient. Um, we have a better sense of restoration, which uh, all those things lower our stress levels and help us to have to be healthier physically as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that means, that means that tomorrow everybody's going to buy a plant. Does that help? <laughs> it does help minimally. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's a lot more involved than that. Um, but then also, I just want to uh, also say I've done research on cultural, I call it cultural well-being too. And I have found that a lot of the same factors in biophilic design transfer into cultural well-being. So what I did was did a study to find out what people, how can we incorporate features and characteristics of um, the design and in, in translate that into people's, various people's cultures. And what mm -hmm. I have found is that a lot of people talked about ascension um, and movements, and they talked about the colors green and, and browns, these earth tone colors. And so factoring that in, doing analysis and looking at those design elements and principles really cross over into biophilic design again and make, make people feel like, um, you know, we are all kind of reaching to um, um, reach a kind of higher existence and obtain a higher existence regardless of our culture. Um, and so I think that that all is incorporated into the space that we're looking at too. MIE. Um, so yeah, that, that just sort of add, uh, so some additional things sort of to expand on on what Angie and Andy have said. Um, I think that you know for 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 this client and for a lot of the other sort of office um, or, or commercial clients that we've worked with, it, it is very much about um, again sort of creating those natural spaces, but creating. Um, the choice and the flexibility um, within spaces to accommodate different different requirements. So um, for, for this particular client, there's lots of different options in relation to the type of workspaces. There's things which are, I suppose, more um, more collaborative, more more interactive in, in terms of the spaces and the environments that are created. There are spaces which are much more quieter and, and it offers that choice then depending on what personal preferences are. It accommodates different sort of neurodivergent requirements requirements um, and uh, what, what Angie was saying about sort of the cultural side of things as well thinking about again any any particular um, you know regardless of what your what your personal um, sort of 
identity requirements are, making sure that that's all accommodated um, within the built environment. So I am going to go off script because I have been told in the past that having these options, having these choices feels like you're pampering people and it should be a workplace, right? People should work. Why is it necessary to pamper people, to give them extra privileges to rest, to sleep, to be zen or to eat healthy? And I will start with Angie. Why? Um, well, as far as workplace goes, it increases our productivity. The model of our um, traditional workplace environments are based off of the military. We are not in the military. Um, we are people and we oh. need to be... <laughs> We're people and we need to make sure that um, our well-being is considered too. So I always say, why should you just settle for just being healthy? Just being healthy is being neutral. Why are we not looking to do things in an optimal way? Why are we looking, looking to have optimal workplace or optimal wellness in workplaces or in any of our building structures? Um, and so it is, we, we get more productivity. Again, there's a better return on investment and going back to what our original conversation was, um, people are able to um, feel more rested. There's, there's less burnout. People feel more valued. And when they feel more valued in their workplaces, they are more loyal to those workspaces. So again, that helps to deter from turnover. So there's many different reasons why we should look to this as a model versus what we have traditionally been looking at. Connection is huge, as Maie was saying as well, um, and having spaces where people can feel like they can connect with someone else, especially in a time where we've been in mm -hmm. quarantine for so long. Yeah, definitely. Andy. Oh, I mean, we're, we're, we're all going to completely agree on this. And I think, unfortunately... Okay, shall I stop? Shall I stop everything now? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's a really important point. And, and I think yeah, the, the stats on, on the amount of money businesses lose every year due to, due to lack of sleep um, in, their, in their team members, and I, I don't have the stat off the top of my head. It's extraordinary. And you just think that's the case right there because actually making people come into work 8, 9 a.m., sit there until 5 p.m., despite what their body's telling them, despite the pressures mm -hmm. of life and stresses and the, the other things they have on their mind, when actually they might be really productive at 5 p.m. on Sunday evening, if they can, mm -hmm. if the parameters of work allow, why wouldn't you do everything to enable people to do their best work? Because when they can contribute at their best, your organization is only going to benefit from, from that ability to work. Keeping I, people I do in have to country. add yeah. something on because this lockdown also has shown that companies can be flexible mm -hmm. and you as a person can um, be your own director of your own schedule, right? You can say that maybe in the morning I'll be a teacher for my kids. So in the afternoon I can work on the things and still work on the task because I do feel like we need to focus more on the task instead of the hours that people make. If they can finish something within a week, then that's fine. The way they do it, how they do it, as long as they do it mindfully, I'm okay with that. I, I think that's a super important point. And to go back to back to the bell curve that, that Angie mentioned, not the same mm -hmm. bell curve, but, but that principle. You know, I have members of my own team who actually need structure to be able to work. They mm -hmm. they actually don't like kind of managing their own time. So so you know the the fact is there are people who thrive on that and there are people who mm -hmm. need structure. So yeah. both of those people can contribute equally to the organization, but you need to allow them to do their best work. So you need to provide the structure and the locations for people who need it, but also provide the freedom for the people who can do their best work based on that. And, and you know, there, therein lies the business case. Yeah. <laughs> Maie. 
I'm not sure what I've got to add to, to those wonderful <laughs> answers. Um, I, I suppose the only just sort of expanding on 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 uh, the points that have been made already. You know, there's mm -hmm. I suppose there's there's been um, so much um, campaigning from various groups about the fact that you know they they need to work flexibly they need to have um, more flexible work arrangements to accommodate um, personal circumstances so whether that's um, people with children whether or not that's the disability community that there's so much um, that has been said over the years and dismissed um, as, as you sort of mentioned and phrased in your question you know sort of like well you know this is how we've, we've done it why why do we need to pander to anyone um, but I think like you say this pandemic has really shown that um, it, it is it is perfectly doable. It, there mm -hmm. is absolutely no reason coming out of lockdown why um, companies, buildings, uh, you know, why why that can't all really rethink how um, you know whether or not traditional, whether whether or not historically, um, the way things uh, the the way we have done things is is the correct way of doing things going forward. Mm -hmm. I do have to say that has COVID and this lockdown, um, I no, maybe I need to rephrase. I'm going to rephrase it. So my worry, the thing that I'm worried about when it comes to inclusive design and the new normal that we're dealing with, it creates um, an in, not that connected workplace because you have to have the, the distancing. You have to be mindful with each other's space you have to be mindful in the public areas and there is so much more that can build on people's their anxiety can the new inclusive workplace design decrease this anxiety or create that connectiveness that we still need i would say yes and i'm going to go back to what andy said about mm -hmm. a time of innovation i believe in people I believe mm. in us. I believe in our ingenuity and our innovation. I believe in our new students who are getting ready to come out and take this world by storm, who've had to deal with all of these things. Um, and so I think that we can rise to the challenge. We'll meet the challenge. We have a we have a playground now to deal with how to to design this new world, and that's really exciting to me. Um, and I think we can do it now. I don't have. I haven't sat down to figure out exactly what those things look like, so I can't give you. I mean, you you only have four months. Why haven't you had any examples yet, right? Well, well, still has work. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I I believe that we will rise to the challenge and we'll figure out how to do that. I we we are. It's so it's so amazing how innovative um, we are um, and different things that we can come up with when we're faced with challenges. Yeah, I believe so too, Andy. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with with that fact. We've proved that when we have to innovate, mm -hmm. you know, that that we can innovate. Um, innovation has been a luxury for a very long time, but actually now, if we're if we're thinking that the world could shift at any given time, maybe we'll adopt that that innovative culture. And you know, like Andrew said, there, there's amazing people coming out into the world with with fresh ideas straight straight from from graduating, and they graduate in the most crazy times. Yet still, they're persevering and pushing forward. That energy is going to going to carry forward. So so have faith and optimism in, in the innovation of humanity to to get this stuff right. And may may. 
Um, yeah, so uh, absolutely, um, absolutely agree. It's always hard being being the last person to speak after uh, after such wonderful answers. <laughs> I'll let um, you speak the next for the next question. Then I'll let you start. <laughs> um, I think the only thing I, I would add is, you know, that, again, sort of learning from things, good good examples of things that have happened already as well. So, the um, example that popped into my head had a had a conversation with a colleague, um, uh, a collaborator. Um, of, of of ours at the moment on a project um, about a uh, a building that he worked on, mm-hmm. and that was designed specifically for um, uh, for a charity that um, works with disabled people. Um, and he was talking about the fact that within this building they've got um, lift controls at mm-hmm. at two levels, uh, mm-hmm. at standing level and as and and at a lower level where it can be operated by um, by a footplate on a wheelchair or or by feet, if if someone's um, sort of holding a cane and they're unable to to let go in order to in order to um, operate the lift control. Now, something like that in terms of foot, foot operated um, sort of lift controls is probably going to be something that people want to think about going forward for, it's for more hygiene hygienic, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there there may be things in addition to all the innovation that um, should be happening going forward. There's mm-hmm. also probably things that we can, you know, that that perhaps were thought of as niche and as specialist that can be brought into the for brought into the um into into design as a more mainstream thing mm-hmm. that will benefit a lot more people. And can yeah. I add that's the reason why we need more diverse thought and perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome card. I have to show it. Awesome. I also was <laughs> there's something pop out of out of my mind right now is um, this lockdown. A lot of people have said, you know, this lockdown has brought a lot of that yuckiness out of, out into the light. But are there also positive things that you can maybe share what you have learned when it comes to inclusive workplace design? Do you have you seen anything positive? Or has it amplified your mission regarding diversity or regarding uh, inclusive workplace design? For me, mm-hmm. is it okay? Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. Um, for me, it really made me stop and be still. Mm. Um, and it made me really think about what's really important. And it made me really think about um, our connection to people is important and our connection mm-hmm. to our families and these relationships that we have is the utmost important. And it just really reiterates, um, I think what all of us here are in, which is human-centered design, people-centered way of thinking that the human should be at the center of everything that we do. Um, and we need to consider them first above anything else when it comes to design and make sure that their voices are heard when we're designing for them. So not just designing in these silos, but include at a, from the beginning and throughout the process, the people that we are designing for. Yeah, me. I think, yeah, that, that just echoing Angie's points, I think that everyone that I think I've spoken to um, all the clients that we've been in touch with over mm-hmm. over the past few months, um, I think are in the same sort of position that they're reflecting on those things. And again, I think because of what's happening and because of the fact that 
um, there is that opportunity. I think. I think there is that, that, that. I think opportunity is 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 the key word here. I think there is um, a, a, an appetite, I suppose, to do better. So I think I think despite the difficulties um, and and the uh, sort of difficult everybody. conversations that we. Oh no! Sorry, continue. It's, oh, it's sorry. it was me. Um, yeah, I was just saying that the, uh, despite the difficulties and some, some, you know, some of the difficult conversations that have had to happen over the past few months, um, I think there is real opportunity and real sort of acknowledgement of the fact that there, that there needs to be a better uh, solution going forward. Mm -hmm. Andy? I, I'm, again, I'll completely agree. I, th I think you know, we're, my, my business also does a lot of consumer research. And we've always said, who are the best people to tell you what they want from a product or service, but the people who are going to be using it. And we've mm -hmm. been really great at consumer-focused market research for years. But actually, what's been really interesting during COVID-19, the first couple of weeks as, as the world was closing down, you saw businesses go into kind of broadcast mode. They would, just, they would email every day. You open email saying, here's what we're doing to yeah. combat COVID-19. And actually, mm -hmm. now you're seeing that softer shift where all of a sudden it's we're coming back. What do you need from us? What what does the world yeah. want from us as a business? And and I think we're kind of seeing that opportunity to to listen and actually be guided by, OK, what do our people want from the workplace to be able to do their best work? How can we be better? And, and you know, are you seeing more conversations like this and, and people tuning into them? So so I think those conversations are starting to happen. And I think if, if COVID-19 has done one thing by locking everyone down and, and making people connect in different ways, actually, people are now plugging into different conversations they weren't plugging into before and talking to new people. And, and you know, and, and I think that's a, that, again, is a great opportunity. I do agree. I do agree. I do have to say that um, it's weird for me to say this, but I am in a way um, glad that COVID has brought the, the stigma re regarding mental well-being into light that I hope that this whole lockdown has reduced the stigma around this because I've been advocating about mental health for a very long time. And now it doesn't matter in what position you are. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or whatever it is that you're going through. We are all sitting in the same storm. The only thing is that the only thing what is different is, are you sitting in a yacht or are you sitting in a small boat? Everybody is going through these challenges in the workplace or challenges at home. And I hope that um, the workplaces, the organizations, um, are going to provide tools, are going to provide places, are going to uh, going to have conversations about how can we support you uh, when it comes to your mental well-being. Because, again, I do have to iterate that that's the second pandemic that is coming on once your if your company is not paying attention to it now. I want to advocate for that, that you have to do it now sooner than later. And in an equitable way. Yeah, yeah. Can you help them? Why Why are you mentioning in an equitable way? Uh, because you said we are all in a storm and some of us are in yachts, some of us yeah. are in rowboats. Yeah. And so the person who's in a yacht has many more resources and tools available to them than mm -hmm. the person in the rowboat. And so yeah. that means that the person in the rowboat may need more tools or resources from you as an organization than the person who's in the yacht. And that's essentially what equity is. Thank you for adding that. I'm going to my last question. 
and that's a personal question however it is that you want to answer it I'll, I'll leave it up to you but um in five years and maybe we can you know skip 2020 and fast forward but what is your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and including inclusive workplace design so i'll go with mei first so i think it's a summary of, of what we've discussed on this call. I think it's a, it's hopefully by the time twen, uh, 2025, 2025. Mm -hmm. so we're five, five years away, that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a reasonable time to have, you know, really, again, uh, thought about all the things that we can learn and that we can adapt and that we can implement as part of, uh, you know, the, the, the awful things that are going on in the world at the moment and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And to be able to, again, really establish that new normal with, with inclusion at the at that real heart of that, um, embedding that not just in the designs that we have but also how we're designing those so the process the people the teams that actually make that up as well um, and making sure that that's as diverse as we can uh, as, as it should be to reflect our communities andy i i think yeah if, if you look back through workplace history there's there's always time for a step change you know wi-fi and smartphones were a step change they, they de-tethered people from the desk um, you know, all of a sudden this year, first of all, we had COVID-19 that everybody had to deal with. And, and suddenly that was a, yeah, a step change or a complete change that, that shows we can work differently. I'm very hopeful that that finally having you know, Black Lives Matter and this issue properly in the public eye and everybody's talking about it. I'm hoping that will be a step change. And, mm -hmm. and you know, five years from now, it's time for the step change that we're going through right now this year to embed in what the workplace looks like, to embed in design, to embed in practices, to embed in organizational structures. I'm just hoping that that's what we're going to do. We're going to grab all of this stuff and actually push it, push it all forward to create these workplaces that are platforms for people. And no matter who those people are, everybody has a platform to to be able to contribute and do their do their best work and, and inform how we design whether it's space or structure around that and angie um simply to reflect our world simply to reflect the population of our world um again in all abilities uh, and in all ethnicities inclusion is really key diversity is very key and so i just want to see just simple reflection what mm -hmm. our world looks like I would like to say uh, thank you for this engaging conversation. And if it was up to me, I would have talked for hours and I can, but I have to minimize it. But I let's say maybe in a few months time, we do a callback of this interview and have a conversation about, okay, what happened after our conversation? How did we inspire people? Because there is so much to win when it comes to workplace design, inclusive workplace design. And I hope that we, this conversation inspires employers, but also employees um, that a company or a building can really contribute to their well-being in general. Um, do you have anything to add on? I think that's a great idea. I think it's great. It would be great to revisit it. I think it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. I just you're want welcome. to urge, um, like Andy said, that this is wonderful that we're having these great conversations. I really, really hope that people continue to take action and implement these strategies into their workplace environments um, and it not just be talk. 
Walk the talk, people. Walk yeah. the talk. Absolutely. <laughs> May? Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and nothing to add. I, I think uh, Andy and Angie have said it all. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having this talk. And I'm just closing off. So please stay. Please stay with me. Um, just introducing next week's, uh, tomorrow's, not next week, tomorrow's conversation. Tomorrow's conversation, it will be about how can leaders coach their teams to greatness. And again, my name is Vivian Aqua. You can listen, you can watch um, Let's Humanize the Workplace on different channels on YouTube, but you can also listen to it via the various podcast platforms. And I would like to say thank you to all my panel members and thank you for watching this episode. Until next time, bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.